Hello, I'm Michael Curran from the Ottawa Business Journal. Have you ever wondered about the future of technology? More specifically, the future of wireless telecommunications networks that are more and more persuasive in our everyday lives. I'm not simply talking about smartphones. Think about GPS, think about autonomous vehicles, and think far into the future. Today, we're speaking with a professor of systems and computer engineering from Carleton University. He's conducting award-winning research that someday might connect terrestrial networks with satellite networks with a new technology called HAPS, H-A-P-S. Let's meet our guest now. Please welcome Professor Halim Yaniko Moroglu. Hello, Professor. Hello, Michael. Thank you for having me. Well, I'm really excited to explore this. Ottawa is full of telecommunications companies, Professor, including many wireless ones. So I think we've got a topic that is very pertinent to many people here, not only in the technology sector, but but users of technology. So let's start with an easy question, Professor. I'll just get you to introduce yourself a little bit and tell us about the uh, the research that you conduct. Uh, yes, thank you. Uh, I am a professor in the Department of Systems and Computer Engineering at Carleton University. Uh, my research has uh, always been aligned with the generations of wireless networks. Um, uh, the uh, public is now very familiar about 5G networks, uh, which are being deployed everywhere in Canada. Um, so 4G, 5G, and now the research community is looking at 6G. Uh, those have been uh, at the core of my research for the last 25 years as a, as a faculty member. And uh, I feel actually to be very privileged to be in Ottawa for the reasons that you have mentioned. This is this has been the uh, Silicon Valley North and still is, uh, and had uh, opportunity to work with industry, small and big, uh, Canadian and international uh, over the years, and had the opportunity to work on some of the most fundamental issues and problems in wireless networks. Um, I mean, this is obviously a very uh, big business with tons of technologies, but there are some foundational issues, kind of the physics, if I may say, of wireless communications and networking. So uh, I had the opportunity to think on those, work on those, and I have some proposals for future. I like how you characterize that. What we're talking about here is really fundamental physics. I'm not very good in physics professor, so keep this accessible to me. But we're going to spend the next 15 minutes or so talking about some of your award-winning research that you conducted. And we're probably looking into the future, let's say, you know, maybe 2040, 2050, and imagining a new integrated communications network professor that few of us, certainly not me, and I've never heard anyone else talk about this type of stuff in Ottawa. Maybe I'm talking to the wrong people. This would kind of enhance our ter terrestrial network. So we see the towers. We all, we're driving down the highway or in our communities, we see the towers. And we know the satellite networks. And you're looking at something called HAPS, H-A-P-S, which stands for High Altitude Platform Station. Tell us about this, Professor. Now, one of those fundamental uh, uh, roadblocks in wireless networks from the very beginning is that, this is what I mean uh, by the physics of it, once I put my base stations in the network, whether many of them or few of them, uh, it is static. Base stations do not move. And if you are uh, lucky and close to a base station, 
to be more precise, an unobstructed line of sight view to a base station, it all works good. Uh, but most of the time, that's not the case. Basically, uh, users, the traffic that is being generated, data traffic, is random in space and time. It can emerge anywhere, anytime. And in future, especially towards 2030s, we will have applications like immersed reality um, and uh, autonomous and connected vehicles, which require, which would require gigabits per second connectivity. So um, uh, once again, if you are uh, fortunate and close to a base station, it should work fine. But otherwise, uh, you don't have a good signal to make the situation actually more uh, complicated. Uh, to have higher rates, we need more bandwidth. And that bandwidth is available in the larger portions of the electromagnetic spectrum, sometimes referred to as a millimeter wave. And in particular, if you go to those higher rates, uh, higher uh, part of the spectrum, the electromagnetic wave behaves like light, meaning that it uh, would, it, 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 there is a need for line of sight. The transmitter and receiver should see each other. Otherwise, obstructions uh, basically uh, kill the link. And the signal attenuation is substantial. I sometimes tease my uh, university students. The very first lecture, I ask them the question, if I transmit one watt of power from a base station, how what percentage of that comes to your smartphone? And they say, well, 50%. Can it be 1% that little? Actually, a typical loss as the signal goes through the air is uh, like a trillion times. So you get only a super minute version of the signal. The uh, most of it is is lost. So what we are saying is that um, let us try to design a more agile, a more flexible network. So really. Throughout my career, uh, for the last 25 years as a professor, for 32 years starting from my graduate uh, studies, I have been working on, or I have worked on any and every technique that I am aware of to make the network uh, more flexible. But no matter what uh, we do with the terrestrial network, the ground network, the demand uh, requirements are getting more and more pressing that it uh, occurred to me that uh, just the terrestrial network will not cut it. So in 2015, I advanced the idea of mounting a base station to a UAV so that we have a more flexible base station. And that work at, uh, attracted a lot of attention, a lot of awards. And I am very happy to say that it is now uh, part of standards just a couple of months ago. Uh, 3GPP is the platform that develops this 4G, 5G standards in their most recent version. They endorsed that. But actually, I have been thinking further. Okay, you know, this should do the job for the next 10 years. But as we move forward really deep into the future, all the fancy applications and pressing requirements we need a more agile network. And then comes the idea of putting a network in stratosphere. 
So HAPS, high altitude, referring to stratosphere, platform station. It is some sort of an aircraft mounted platform in stratosphere. Aircraft itself might be a blimp, an airship, a zeppelin, a glider, a big balloon, and uh, lots and lots of equipments there, lots of lots of opportunities. So this is uh, uh, the the gist of uh, the discussion and proposal. This, this is excellent. This is excellent. We saw some great images there, by the way, to help people visualize what we're talking about. And one of the things you've helped me understand, Professor, is this is kind of complementary to HAP. So we know that there's a satellites and, and there's something called low Earth orbit satellites. We've seen companies like um, Starlink uh, and uh, Telesat, Ottawa-based, looking at these LEO. You're, you're looking at something below high altitude, as you said. So that's way below LEO. And it would complement uh, the satellite network and the terrestrial network. Talk a little bit about how it all works together. Yes, uh, th this is a great question. These different networks are not alternatives of each other, rather we envision uh, a, a very complex, sophisticated, I should rather uh, say, a 3D network rather than current uh, planar network on the ground. So uh, the terrestrial network will continue evolving as it has been evolving for the last several decades, mainly densification, more and more base stations, satellite networks, uh, there is a big um, rejuvenation there with Starlink, but this is probably just the beginning of a new era in uh, satellite networking. As we speak, there are around 2,400 Starlink satellites. The company has permit from US authorities to increase that number to about 12,000 later in this decade, and even uh, beyond 40,000 in 2030s. Yes, these are referred to as mega constellations. Leo uh, uh, refers to low Earth orbit. That these are the class of satellites closest to Earth, roughly around 500 kilometer altitude. Now, HAPS is much closer to Earth than uh, satellites. It is at 20 kilometers. And there is one big uh, advantage in uh, certain cases, and that is, uh, at least today, uh, LEOs do not talk to smartphone directly, at least for in the case of high rate applications. Um, uh, simply because to put it uh, really in lay terms, it is really far away. There is too much loss, but HAPS is much closer. Uh, another differentiation is that satellites orbit, obviously, we know Starlink uh, satellites, or actually we see International Space Station, which is at around the same altitude, um, rising on the horizon, and then uh, basically after eight minutes, it disappears. So the devices on Earth uh, have to track the satellite. Actually, Starlink's dish uh, literally moves. There is a mechanical gear. So as the satellite moves, the dish moves as well to, to see the satellite. But uh, HAPS is stationary at 20 kilometers. Therefore, uh, those uh, concerns are not there. Actually, this view graph is, uh, uh, is showing that integrated network 
Um, uh, so uh, we envision that the network will evolve in 3D manner progressively over the years and decades. Um, that city might be a metro area like Ottawa or Montreal or Toronto, lots of population, um, an area of, let us say, 50 kilometer diameter, millions of people. And in the skies, there is one or several high altitude platform station nodes. And in the figure, there are red links between uh, HAPS nodes uh, that refers to, uh, indeed, laser-based communications, which enables extremely high rates. So all of that cluster acts as a single entity. Uh, and that cluster in Ottawa is connected to the cluster in Montreal and then in Toronto, and they are connected to satellites as well. And then from this cluster, there are beams of various sorts. For instance, if you would like to uh, give service to all the sensors in greater Ottawa area, you would want to have a very big beam. On the other hand, if you are trying to track a vehicle, then you will try to have a very narrow beam that will necessitate, by the way, a huge antenna architecture, um, the, even much bigger than what we have on the ground in base stations but at 20 kilometers uh, above the ground, I, I can accommodate that. I should mention that these, uh, perhaps is a big bird. It is not a, a small device. Just to give a perspective, a LEO satellite, Starlink satellite is maybe roughly uh, as big as a sedan vehicle and maybe about 500 kilos. But perhaps in particular, if it comes in the form of a Zeppelin, we are here talking about 150 meters by 50 meters, which can lift at some point, uh, maybe tons of equipment. So uh, it is a great infrastructure and um, you can do with that much more than just communications. Indeed, it might have data center functionalities. Uh, it might have huge cameras for sensing you can put atomic clocks there, suddenly it facilitates a much accurate GPS type of functionalities, for instance, uh, positioning, navigation. Um, and by the way, positioning and navigation is big, especially in the era of UAVs, when we have these highways of drones in 2030s and 40s, um, just a few meters of accuracy for positioning will not be sufficient. You will need uh, much better accuracy. So to, to make the long story short, uh, the proposal is to put up a big network between ground and satellites. And and uh, by the way, when I'm thinking of those Zeppelins, we should point out the planes are flying below the Zeppelins. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah. Again, I, I think I should have made that remark. The transatlantic uh, air uh, planes um, move at an altitude of about uh, 10 kilometers, 30,000 feet. So this is well above the air traffic. That's that's exactly it. And you've you've mentioned a few a few of the advantages, but I want to dig into this a little bit more, Professor. So we know we're talking about a complementary network. We know HAPS is about creating more dependable network, a more dynamic network. 
but there's lots of other uh, benefits to it. For example, when I was seeing that image of a constellation of satellites and you're referring to uh, how Starlink is going to have thousands and thousands and thousands, like there is a point where, you know, someone that uh, has a simple view of this, uh, like me, has a concern about, well, is the entire sky full of leo satellites uh so so there's lots of uh advantages to what you're proposing here let's talk about a few of them yes um, um let me uh, start uh, maybe uh, advantages over the terrestrial network now terrestrial network is getting denser and denser but it is now approaching at a point that if we make it uh, much more denser than what it is today, uh, it will be very costly and it will become a gross over-engineering. Basically, the, the number of users is uh, basically, say, the number of vehicles, persons, uh, and I want these extremely high rates everywhere. And uh, the implication is that anytime, wherever I want those rates, I should be close to a base station. Now, the brute force solution, in a way, dumb solution, unintelligent solution is to put base station everywhere, every 100 meters, a base station. Now, when there is population like downtown Ottawa, this makes sense because there is revenue to collect. But in uh, suburban areas, uh, basically, um, uh, most of the time, most of that infrastructure will stay idle. Now, what is good about uh, HAPS is that we can centralize a lot of base stations in HAPS. So essentially, a HAPS can act like a hundred base stations, even hundreds of them in stratosphere, um, uh, and each base station is able to create one or several spot beams. So whenever there is an, uh, a traffic need on the ground, which is uh, uh, or for which the terrestrial network is having stress to absorb, um, just an example, let us say that in a residential street, supposed to be quiet typically, but there is an accident and in 2030s, all of us body area networks with uh, retina projected goggles and so on, each person is gigabits per second. And suddenly that street might require terabits per second connectivity for half an hour. And the terrestrial network just cannot do that. Uh, I mean, uh, it will be way too expensive to design it in that way. So an alternative is from HAPS, just for 10 minutes, half an hour, you turn on those spot beams to that street, absorb the traffic, and uh, of course, HAPS should be backhauled to the core network on the ground. And then uh, once that stress is uh, uh, not there anymore, those beams are used elsewhere. So this is the essence of agility. It is a much more dynamic, sustainable, energy efficient, green design. Now. Coming to satellite part, for instance, um, at some point there will be satellites everywhere when those 12,000 satellites are there. Just a matter of years, these things are happening very quickly. Just a parenthetical note, it was only, I think, 2018 when Starlink put up its first satellite. By the time we were 
uh, wrapping our heads around, it's now almost 2,500 of them, and it will exceed 10,000 soon. Um, so if you look at the skies of Ottawa, there will be maybe 20, 30 satellites uh, visible to a device, but the link is just too long and uh, signal is too weak. Uh, as such, uh, you can't have a high rate uh, like video streaming, let us say. However, if there are haps on the skies of that populated area, haps can act as relays. That is, my device can be connected to satellite in two hops. First to satellite and the signal can be, if necessary, pushed to, sorry, first haps, then satellite and the other way around uh, that way. Um, and everything is opportunistic. Uh, once you have that infrastructure, whatever makes sense, uh, things can move forward in that manner. Um, uh, now, uh, maybe I will just uh, mention uh, uh, some concerns of, uh, say, astrophysicists uh, uh, about uh, having uh, too many satellites up. Uh, they would argue for good reasons that they are uh, kind of polluting light pollution in skies, radio, uh, galactic ob observations, telescopes, and so on. This might make uh, visibility more difficult. Uh, that is one problem. The other problem, uh, actually, is that uh, if there are way too many of them, uh, and when collusions happen, uh, they are rare but can happen, there is a lot of debris, space debris, this is called. And at some point, this might impact um, the, the, the mission to Mars and Moon and so on, deep space. Uh, those concerns are, uh, are there as well, I have to acknowledge. Um, the, however, there are also ways, uh, like a, a garbage collector, uh, the community is articulating about special special uh, spacecraft to collect the garbage and things of that sort. Very, very, very interesting. We're going to start wrapping up, Professor, but before we do, I want to want to give people a timeline of this. So, you know, people might have been listening to you and thinking, wow, this is something that's going to happen in the next few years. You know, we've got 5G and then 5, uh, you know, 6G and, and it's going to be here by 2030. That is not what you're talking about. Please uh, help us uh, understand the the massive implications, the massive deployment that would be required for a HAPS type uh, yes. integrated network. Now, uh, indeed, one big advantage of HAPS in comparison to satellites is that it is very scalable. So in order to have a satellite network, since they are orbiting constantly, you should have a sufficient number of them in skies, uh, at least hundreds of them uh, uh, that is the Telesat uh, light speed constellation starting uh, next year, Starlink thousands of them. But perhaps uh, since they do not orbit, if you want to give service to a particular area, you can just put one and then the network can grow uh, slowly. Perhaps is uh, not a very new idea indeed. It has a history and it has been perceived as a good solution for rural and remote areas in which a terrestrial network does not exist. 
our proposal is to bring caps to urban areas because uh, the economics in rural and uh, remote markets uh, really uh, do not work well uh, because business case is rather thin. But if we deploy these in metro areas where there is money, there is business, there are millions of connections possibly, it can make sense. Uh, so my thinking is that as early as 2030, we can see uh, HAPS deployments, some odd deployments, if I may say, wherever there is nece necessary. Um, a good example might be in the cottage country around Ottawa in Gatineau region, currently very poor coverage. Uh, it is We are talking about 6G and gigabits per second connectivity, but you go to your cottage 50 kilometers from downtown in Ottawa, there is no signal. You take the train to uh, Toronto from Ottawa, part of the tracks, there is no uh, cellular signal. So in these strategic places, uh, HAPS can be deployed around 2030 time frame. But then all these new functionalities for positioning, big, um, uh, big cameras uh, able to see even individuals on the ground, data center functionalities, super powerful antenna architectures. This will take time. Um, uh, and uh, uh, however, the good thing again is that uh, the scalability of HAPS uh, will allow gradual deployment, enrichment, adding functionalities. Um, and these can be very common in the skies of uh, metro areas in 2040s. That is my prediction. Well, listen, Professor, thank you so much for uh, for joining us and explaining it, keeping it so I can even understand it. So that's a that's a real talent you have, uh, Professor Halim. But so uh, so great to know that this um, this research is being conducted right here in our backyard at Carleton University. You spent 25 years of your career working on on similar technology. So a big thank you to you for joining us on the show, and thank you for looking far into the future of, of, our, of, of our communication networks. Uh, thank you, Professor. Thank you, Michael. Thank you for the opportunity. And that was, uh, once again, Professor Halim Yaniko Moroglu. Uh, wonderful to have him with us here today. I want to remind you that you can stay tuned to Ottawa Business Journal for all sorts of uh, technology, innovation. We have a project, of course, called Techopia that looks into a lot of these issues, but I urge you to go to obj.ca. In fact, we're doing some writing on what, some of the research happening at Carleton University. You can also subscribe, by the way, to our daily email newsletter that's called OBJ Today. It goes out Monday to Friday to several thousand people, a great way to stay on top of um, uh, local business headlines. And of course, if you're watching this on YouTube, uh, please like the channel um, and then hit the little bell icon and then you get a notification when we're posting new videos. And by the way, it's great to see that our YouTube following is uh, growing, growing, growing. So thank you once again to uh, Carleton University for working us, uh, working with us on this interview and specifically Professor Halim. Hope to see you real soon. Bye-bye everyone.